0: Well, good, morning. good morning. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. I um, was telling first service. I feel um, more Alaskan today than than I did a week ago. So. Um, <laughs> the, uh, we um, went through, we visited Homer, right? That's kind of a Kenai Peninsula rite of passage, it feels like. We got, went down and uh, had the opportunity to, to spend some time in Homer and had my expectations of what I thought Homer was going to be like. It was totally not like that, just better and more beautiful and all those things. Um, and then uh, yesterday, it was, it was hot, <laughs> coming from Colorado a month ago, that would not have felt hot, but for whatever, like, I think that means we're kind of becoming more Alaskan. I, like, swept my way through first service, and it's only 70 degrees, so I don't know what you guys have done to me, um, but I think, I think I'm more Alaskan than I was a week ago. I, we um, we got our license plates on our vehicles this week, and um, yeah. that, was, that was actually, that was something. That, that took some getting uh, to get that done, and um, but we were there, and I got my license plates, and then Dan Campbell came by to, to say hi uh, earlier, in this week, earlier in the week, and he said, hey, I saw your truck out there in the parking lot. And I said, well, how'd you know that was my truck? He said, well, you had Alaskan plates that weren't covered with bugs. I figured they had to be pretty new license plates. <laughs> so I guess he's not wrong, right? It's like that's, that's how it is. But um, So it is good to feel a little more Alaskan and to be with you guys this morning. We are closing out a series that's called Leaning In, and it's simply the, the genesis of this series was really the idea that, um, that, that God invites us to live in a certain way, that we can even look at the stories that we find in Scripture, and we can find these, these moments where people were given the opportunity very, very clearly uh, from Jesus to, to lean in and to actually begin to live out the life that he was inviting them to live, and yet some walked away from that. Right? Some people did not actually live that out, and then we look at our own lives and we say, why is it, if it has been made so clear, if the bullseye has been painted for us, why is it that, that we can hear it and yet not take him up on it, that our lives go about looking exactly like our lives looked like before? And the question or the tension is or the disconnect is, is is why is it that we tend to lean out when we should lean in, right? If there is a moment where God is inviting us to take a step forward, why is it that we often lean out instead of lean in? And so we're looking at those stories and we're looking at these moments where am I going to lean in? Am I going to take a breath and say, you know what, I'm going to go in on what God is calling me to go in. I'm going to choose to live in a different kind of way and take him up on this. Or like so many did at so many different moments, where in the middle of that tension, in the middle of that story, we're going to just simply lean out and go on living life the way we want to live life. And so, this week, as I was looking at this passage and reflecting on this passage, this this story, my kids were in first service, are not here with me to giggle through this one because they learn things about their dad when dad preaches, right? And they love that. Um, I was telling, or as I was thinking about this passage and thinking about this story, um, was reminded of a childhood experience that I had and. Um, you know, my mom was a, was a good mom and she knew when to bribe and when not to bribe or knew how to make things happen with, with, by by means of some sort of like carrot on the stick that would, would would get me to do what she wanted me to do. And when I was a kid, I didn't like eggs for whatever reason, or maybe in that particular day, I didn't like eggs because that's what kids do, right? They just decide they don't like something that they normally like. And, um, I love eggs now, uh, but my mom had made eggs one, one morning for breakfast, and it was a morning where uh, we were going to go shopping, and I'm assuming it was back-to-school shopping, because that's the only time she could get the three, our three, her three boys to go shopping with her. Um, but she made eggs for breakfast, and she made the eggs, and I'm sitting there going, I'm not going to eat these. There's no way this is going to happen. And then she comes out, and so she solves the problem with, with a couple chocolate chips at the, in front of my plate, and she says, once you eat the eggs, you can have the chocolate chips great. We now understand the way this is going to work. And so I I start eating the eggs, or at least I I cut the eggs up, and I put them in my mouth, and then I figure once the eggs are off the plate, the the chocolate chips are mine, right? That seems like a fair enough kind of thing. So eggs still in my mouth, grab the chocolate chips, and then it's off to the the store, right? We're going around the store, and i not going into too many details because I think you guys know how like digestive systems work and those things that like when there's something in your mouth, you're going like, to start salivating. And all this, I was holding the eggs in my mouth and my cheeks were just <laughs> so holding chocolate chips. Cheeks are expanding. And my mom is like, what is wrong with you? Like she's asking me questions about whether or not I like that outfit or, you know, and, um, so she finally forces me to, to confess after first clearing the obstruction from my mouth and confess what had happened. And, and so she's like, well, what happened to the chocolate chips? <laughs> so then I pry my hands open and there's that puddle of chocolate, right? And we're talking this morning about holding on. We're not talking about just holding on and persisting and enduring through a thing. We're talking about this tendency that we have to, to be so easily satisfied with just taking hold of something without fully experiencing that thing. There's a, a significant difference between holding on, at least in the sense of holding on to those chocolate chips, and actually leaning in and experiencing the goodness that those chocolate chips would have been in my life, right? To actually take, take, uh, to take hold of the experience and not just take hold of the thing holding on. I was in control of the chocolate chips, but I was not experiencing those chocolate chips. So we're talking about the difference between simply enduring, between simply persisting, between simply sticking it out through something, and actually leaning in and experiencing that thing. The story that we're spending time in is in Luke chapter 12. starts in verse 13. This is Jesus now continuing this process of, of teaching those that had gathered around him and There's someone that comes to Jesus, like so many of these Jesus stories where there's an invitation to lean in. There's there's someone that comes to Jesus with a question, and Jesus takes that question and cuts to the heart of the question and then begins to to turn that question into a conversation, and it becomes a lean in or lean out moment. In verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right, this is his big moment, right? This, this man who had come to Jesus, he's now coming and saying, well, this is what I want from Jesus. I'm going to have Jesus kind of mediate between my brother and I. And in verse 14, Jesus replies and he says, man, or man, man who appointed me uh, to be a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out, as he's now talking to probably the, the, the two brothers and, and the crowd around him saying, so, "So watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Jesus, in this moment, here's the question, but here's the real question behind the question. Here's the heart behind the question. He starts to talk about greed. You're saying divide and inheritance, and Jesus interprets that question in terms of possessions and in terms of possessing, in terms of holding on, in terms of greed. That, that greed can be more than wanting someone else's stuff, right? Greed can also manifest as holding on to your stuff, right? Holding on to everything that you have or holding on to those things that have been placed in your hands and, and taking on a mentality that, that this is my thing. That Jesus says it's not just a question of you want someone else's things or the things that someone else possesses, but, but greed can look like just simply holding on tightly to the things that are in your hands, Jesus taking the question that the man asked, this, this moment that he asks Jesus the question and takes it, cuts to the heart of it and turns the question around and makes it a question about what he's holding on to, right? And when the question gets reversed, when Jesus cuts to the heart of the question, there's the, the, that, that is the moment, that is the lean in or lean out moment. I think Jesus sensed that that was what was happening in this man's life as he's trying to decide what does he do with the answer that Jesus just gave him, right? His expectations of the inheritance being divided is now turning into a conversation that's that's taking him and taking his heart somewhere that, that he may or may not want to go. And so Jesus... I think sensing that, realizing that maybe a story would be appropriate. Just like for us, as as we talk about these matters of the heart, as we talk about the the behaviors and the things that we do and and how we should go about living our lives, that sometimes it's easier to look at it in someone else's life. It's easier to see it in a different kind of story for us to have 2,000 years of separation between a man asking Jesus to to mediate between he and his brother. It's it's enough distance that we can get comfortable. Jesus now takes that in the same kind of way, takes that and begins to tell a parable, begins to tell a story. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, self, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Right? We're, we're seeing the beginning of, beginning of a certain kind of mentality, right? This certain conversation that's, that's, that's happening as, as he's beginning to, to, to interpret and to, to figure out what's supposed to happen. What we're seeing is, is this scarcity mentality, saying, what should I do? I don't have a place to store my crops. I'm not sure what I should do with what has been placed in my hands. That, that in the midst of this story, in the midst of the story of abundance, we find this mentality of scarcity, right? Tucked in and, and kind of woven through. We'll see it show up in lots of different kinds of ways where, where, where good things are happening, where big things are happening, where the, 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 the harvest is large, but, but the mentality is, is still so small. It's still focused on survival. It's still this scarcity mentality that says, I better hold on to what I have because I don't know if I'm ever going to have anything like this again. That it's a scarcity mentality in the midst of abundance. And then the the conversation, actually not really a conversation, it's a monologue as the man tries to figure out what to do. In verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and, and then there I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Not a bad solution, right? It would seem responsible in some ways to say, well, that, that makes sense, right? He just had a huge, like, this abundant harvest, this huge harvest. And so what's he going to do with it? He's, he's going to figure out how to store it. And then his life gets better as a result of, of this incredible harvest. But what's happening as we see this monologue, as we see this man in some ways just kind of having a conversation in the mirror with himself saying, self, you have clearly done something great. You should hold on to that, and you should make bigger barns for yourself, and then this is all about you. This should be something that that, that just benefits you, that this decision, this solution that he's come to, is it's I, and it's me, and it's self, and it's all about him. That it's a solution that comes without outside influence, which then leads to God entering into the conversation where it went from a, a monologue from a man wrestling with something in his own head and thinking through what the solution should look like and then it becomes a conversation with God, right? And that can get scary. And in this moment that God speaks and says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Throughout the Old Testament, we see the, the term fool used and it's, it's shocking, right? It's jarring to think about God calling someone that. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we see these moments where, where the word fool is used to, to speak about making decisions without the wisdom of God. Right, to, to to speak about making decisions that may or may not be the right decision, but they're they're made without God's input into that decision being made. This man who had tried to come up with the best solution he could, right? To use the information available to him, to, to use the technology available to him, to, to build bigger barns, to think about what he should do with the with this abundant harvest that's shown up. That he does what he thinks is is the best thing to do, and yet God speaks into that and says, You fool. You've missed it, right? You, you fool, you've, you, you've missed the point of, of all of these pieces. And there's this moment, spiritually speaking, this moment for us is just as human beings that as we try and live in a relationship with God, we try and sort out what a relationship with God is supposed to do in us and through us. It's this great tension of our lives is that there's this reality that, that our spiritual lives, the, the relationship that we have with God is about you, Right? That what, what Jesus did is for you. That there's this incredibly personal reality of, of the relationship that we have with God, this incredibly personal gift that we've been given. That it is, it's about you, but it's not about just you. Does that make sense? It's the tension that we operate within, that, that this abundant harvest, this incredible thing that's happened in this man's life that, that is about him, that it is a blessing, that it does make sure that, that he has what he needs, that his needs have been met, that, that life is provided for, and yet... And yet it's not about just him. Because Jesus continues, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The problem, I think, the the problem with the the way the story plays out, the problem with the the, the man's approach to solving the problem is that he stopped too soon. You could say that he was so easily satisfied with just simply providing for his own needs that, that once his needs were met, that he wasn't worried about what should happen after that. That there was really no sense of responsibility for other people. There was no sense of any kind of stewardship with what had come, come his way other than making sure that he had what he needed. It says, this is what happens, or so this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That this man has taken on this Survival mentality instead of a thriving mentality. That he's looked at the situation and said, "Look, this could maybe never happen again. This abundant harvest. That I better take what I can get right now. Hold on to what I have, and and make sure that I'm taken care of." And so this conversation, this this monologue that's happening inside his head is, it's it's a series of wrong choices. Right? It's a series of wrong choices that that started way before the, the, the opportunity presented itself, that the, the kind of mentality that, that he's operating under, the, the, the framework that he's using for making decisions, that started way before the abundance showed up. And it's this survival mentality. Surviving simply says, how do I make sure that I'm taken care of? How do I make sure that I have what I need? How do I make sure that, that the things that I need for tomorrow come my way, that, that, I, that I make sure that I'm okay? That's a surviving mentality, not a thriving mentality. A thriving mentality says, how do I help other people? What can I do with what I have to to make other people's lives better? And what's beautiful is at the end of this story is Jesus is is having this conversation with the man and he's using this story to help them understand the kind of the mentality that that is causing the the, the problem between the two brothers to begin with. Jesus paints this beautiful picture of, of living towards a bullseye. Right? He gives this incredible gift of saying, this is, this is what you should be living toward. And he says, this is what happens when people aren't rich toward God. So Jesus paints a picture that, that begins to reveal what, what, where the problem actually came from, where he says, it is, it's about being rich toward God. And the beautiful thing about this is, That in this moment, Jesus isn't painting a picture of something that's impossible. He isn't setting the goal and setting the target at at something that's absolutely unattainable for the people that are listening in, for the for the man that comes and asks questions about the inheritance, for the disciples as they're listening, that that Jesus isn't painting a picture that's utterly hopeless. But he says, Look, there is a mentality. There is a mentality that that says all of this is about me, that all of this is about making sure that my needs are met, that I'm taken care of, that, that I have what I need. And Jesus says that the problem is where things start to go off the rails, and where you start to miss the bullseye is when your mentality is wrong. So Jesus gives this bullseye about, uh, that's being rich toward God. And he begins to paint the picture as he tells the story. If you take the bullseye at the, at the end of the story, you start to trace it back as the story unfolds. You realize that, that every wrong choice that was made by the man in the parable is, is linked to the, the mentality or to the wrong bullseye to begin with. Because when you have a survival mentality, when you have a self mentality, it's about how do, I make sure that, how do I make sure that I'm taken care of? And Jesus says, what if you took that and instead of saying, how do, you make sure I'm, how do I make sure I'm taken care of it? How do I live in a way that's rich toward God? The wrong choice and the wrong choices started with pursuing the wrong goal. And so this morning we are talking in terms of leaning in, we're, starting to, we're talking in terms of what does it look like for us to, to live in a particular kind of way, to take Jesus seriously about the life that he's invited us to live, and leaning in, leaning in with your life is, is, is the, the reality that we're talking about this morning, this, this idea that, that we're called to lean in, to go all in, to say what does it look like, not just to lean in in particular categories, but to say, God, I'm in, and when I hear you speak, and when I listen to you lead, and, and when I see you leading me in a certain direction, I'm heading that way with you. The leaning in with your life—it starts with the heart, right? It starts with this transforming work that God does in us. Before He starts to do things through us, God does this powerful and beautiful work in our lives. Will we submit to that process, right? and sometimes the way that we see what's happening in our heart is like what the story of the man with the abundant harvest—that the abundant harvest didn't cause him to go off the rails. Right? It was, was an issue of the heart before the harvest was abundant. He had a mentality and had a heart condition that was, that was, in the, that was, that was wrong. The, the patterns and those sorts of things that had happened, happened before the, the abundant harvest re, was, was revealed to him. So there are moments that reveal our heart. And so the question is, if we're going to be rich toward God, if, the, if these kinds of things start with the heart, are we willing to submit to the process of, of saying, wow, that revealed something about me? why did I react the way that I reacted? What is it that's in me still that that, that needs to be dealt with? What is it that God's trying to show me about who I am? And so will we, will we lean in and will we let transformation run its course? Because living a life that's rich toward God requires leaning in with your life. And that looks something like this, leaning in starts or is an issue of the heart right? It starts with who we are in our innermost being. It starts with, with saying, look, it's not just a checklist. Jesus did not give the man a list of behaviors to, to follow and, and to say, this is what it's supposed to look like. He said, I'm concerned with the heart, right? I'm concerned with, with where these decisions are coming from. There's something that just isn't quite yet what it needs to be. There's this difference between, between being rich towards God and, and being rich in, in other kinds of ways, that leaning in is an issue of the heart, that it starts with the heart. But the good news is that's exactly where God does his work, right? That God starts not just with our behaviors, but starts with the heart of the matter. That, that when we say, I'm going to submit to the process, I'm going to submit to God's transforming work, that, that it starts in us. Leaning in is an issue of the heart. Leaning in is an issue of stewardship, Right, it's us asking the question, and I'm asking a better question, actually asking the right question, not, not what do I do with this, this harvest to make sure that I'm okay, but to ask the question of what has been invested in me that God wants to use? Right, what is it that God has placed in my life that he wants to use to, to make a difference in someone else's life? What is it that, that God has invited me to steward, not that God has invited me to possess or has inv- invited me to own, or has invited to own me in some ways? What does it look like to live as a steward? What's invested in me that God wants to use? I think you talk about mentality that, that grows out of the heart, that, that we say, well, I'm not an owner, right? That the, the, the harvest, this abundant harvest, this, this harvest that requires bigger, bigger barns and requires all those kinds of things, that, that, that it's not an ownership question, right? That, it, that it's not a question of how do I possess and control this thing? It's not, it's not that we're an owner or not that For some of us, it's maybe a mentality of being a debtor, like God did for me, and now that means I have to figure out how to repay him, right? That that God did this thing for me, and that means that I'm now going to have to spend the rest of my life trying to repay what has been given to me. That debtor mentality that that can drive all sorts of broken behavior, can drive all sorts of misconceptions about God. The the, the good news is if if that's where you're at, if you're saying, "How how do I repay God for what he's done for me? You're off the hook. That is not We could, first of all, could never do it. And God's not asking you to repay. He's asking you to steward what he's done, right? To say, how do I use this for his good and for his glory? How do I take what what God has placed in my life and, and make that not just for my own benefit, but for the benefit of those around me, not as an owner, not as a debtor, but as a steward? Leaning in is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of stewardship, and it's an issue of mentality, right? How we go about making choices. What's the framework that we use to, to make the decisions that we make? And, and what Jesus is describing in this story, he said, there is this, this scarcity and there's an abundance mentality that, that we can make our decisions based on. And so he said, in this, in this story, the, the man in the midst of his abundance is taking on a scarcity mentality as if the, the God who gave the incredible harvest, the God that, that, that opened up the earth and, and, and gave him what he could never have gotten on his own, that, that it's like God couldn't do that again, And so he says, if this is what God did, or if this is the harvest that I've received, then then I need to figure out how I can hold on to that so tightly, because this may never happen again. And that's a scarcity mentality in the midst of abundance. What would it look like for him to take a different posture to say, the God of the harvest, the God of the harvest provided for me in ways that I could never imagine. And the God of the harvest this year is the God of the harvest next year right? That what God did this year, God could do again. What would it look like for me to simply open-handedly take what God has done and say, God, would you do it again? Or I'm going to trust that you're going to do it again. So instead of saying, how do I hold on to this thing, but, but say, how do, I, how do I release this? How do I steward this? How do I take a mentality that says, God, do through me and do through what you've placed in my hands what you want to do, that it becomes a framework, right? It's, it's a way of making choices, that it's a mentality between scarcity and abundance, that even in the midst of our abundance, we can take on a scarcity mentality, saying God did for me once, but I don't know if God would ever do for me again. And we serve a God who gives and loves and pours out into our lives abundantly. Leaning in is an issue of mentality. And finally, leaning in Leaning in is an issue of lordship. Leaning in is an issue of lordship. This man in the story, not the man asking the questions initially, but the man in the, in the story that Jesus gave, this parable that Jesus answered the question with, violated the love of God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and violated the love of your neighbor as yourself. Right? And he turned and made everything about him that, that he placed himself at the, at the center of the equation that, that lordship was what he needed, right? That he placed himself at the center, which violates the love God and love others. And instead of placing God in a position of lordship, instead of saying, what is it that, that you want to do with this? You're, you're the God of the harvest. You have, have given me this blessing. What do you want me to do with it? He places himself and makes himself the Lord of it. This is why he, has, he, he asks himself questions, and he talks to himself about what he's going to do about it, because he has placed self in charge of what he does next. Leaning in is an issue of lordship. Lordship is is simply this, that that we will live our lives under the banner of, of something being Lord. It's either going to be ourselves or it's going to be the person of Jesus Christ, saying what does it look like for us to live our lives under the banner that Jesus is Lord? there are so many movements across the history of Christianity where, where Christianity began to spread in, in incredibly difficult soil sometimes with incredibly exponential kinds of impacts in the, in the world around it and when those moments happened and when those movements started almost every single time it was under some version of Jesus is Lord, right whether that was saying Jesus is Lord of of, of my life in general. And so I'm going to place my life under the lordship of Jesus. Leaning in means living a life that's rich towards God, living a life under the banner that Jesus is Lord. And so if Jesus is Lord, then he's Lord of everything. Right? So it starts with our relationships. Jesus is Lord of our relationships. What does that look like when you talk about scarcity mentality, abundance mentality? What does it look like to, to place our relationships under the lordship of Jesus? We may come feeling like we are satisfied relationally. I have all the friends that I could need. I have, have all the connections that I can need. I have what I want. I'm satisfied. I have, have my circle of friends. And it doesn't ask the question, well, what about the person who's lonely? Or it doesn't ask the question, what about the person who feels disconnected that, that we can come and we can sit in a group like this and we can, we can feel connected and, 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 and just part of what's going on. But What about the person who doesn't yet feel connected? right? To take on an abundance mentality when it comes to relationships within a body of, the body of Christ to say, how do I help other people feel connected? I feel welcome. I feel safe. I feel comfortable here. But, but what about the one who doesn't yet? What do I do? How do? What do I do with that? We may be satisfied, but what about the lonely one? Or, or what does it look like for us to leverage our journey relationally with other people to say, look, God has done in me. And I, I, let me just tell you my story. Let me talk to you about what God has done in my life and, and beginning to use our, our, our journey to leverage in, as leverage in the lives of other people. What does it look like for us to place our relationships under the lordship of Jesus? So as parents, what does it look like for us to say, look, I have this, this sacred trust that's been granted to me between me and my kids. What does it look like to, to take that relationship and say, this is not just about what I want my kids to do, but what does God want this relationship to look like? What does God want this, this parenting relationship to look like, and, and what kind of purpose and intentionality should I, should I have when it, when it comes to, to relating to my kids under the lordship of Jesus? When it comes to our marriages, what does it look like for our marriage relationship to, to be under the lordship of Jesus? And it's not just about how we feel about each other, but, but what is God trying to do, and how does our, our relationship honor God? For our friendships to be placed under the lordship of Jesus, saying, God, what can I do to help other people that I've I've been placed in relationship with see you more clearly? Or what does it look like for those dating relationships or or for for our work relationships, what does it look like for for the relationships that are present in our lives to to be placed under the lordship of Jesus? What does it look like for me to submit to a relationship with other people where where other people get to speak into the decisions that I make, right? The, The man's problem in the parable is, that he was trying to make a good decision, right? But he was trying to make the good decision just in his head. And in our head, we can convince ourselves all sorts of things are true, right? We can convince ourselves that all sorts of things are good ideas because it's just happening in our head. What would it look like instead of saying, well, what should I do? And self-look in the mirror and, and be satisfied with the wise decision that you've made. But What does it look like for us to to get in community with other people, to have conversations with other people about about what we think we're going to do or the questions and decisions that are placed before us? What does it look like? This is why life groups, we're gonna talk a lot about life groups in the coming weeks and months because life groups are are that context or at least one of the contexts where we can get out of our heads and get into community and begin to to have conversations with other people where other people can give us perspective on the decisions that we're making to actually say, Jesus is Lord of my relationships and so I'm gonna choose at least one set of relationships that, that help draw me closer to God. Jesus is Lord of our relationships. Jesus is Lord of the direction of our lives. Jesus is Lord of the direction of your life, which would suggest that we are becoming something, that every day that, that we live, that every decision that we make is taking us somewhere. Is it taking us in the direction that honors God? Or is it taking us in the direction that, that God is calling us to live toward? What are you becoming? Maybe for some of us, our lives don't have much direction because we've settled, that we're satisfied with where we're at. And we don't have hunger for what's next. That, that it's just simply about making where we're at work for us what are you becoming? Have you settled? Jesus is Lord of the direction of our lives, which implies movement, right? It implies progress. It it implies that there are next steps, and we place those next steps before God and say, God, what is it that you're trying to do? God, what is it that, that you want to see from me? And so we look and we say, Jesus is Lord over the direction of my life. Am I moving in a way that's rich toward God? Jesus is Lord of your resources, says the, the simple, from this story, the simple truth is that what has been placed in our hands has been placed in our hands for a purpose, that God is calling us to steward the resources that he has made available to us, that, that we look and we say, God, this blessing, what is it that you're trying to do? Right, what is it that you want to do with what you've placed in my hands? And it's a different sort of mentality. It's a different approach to resources. It's, it's not about how do I hold on to what I have. It's about, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with the resources? This is why here at Birchridge we do things like a spiritual gifts test so we can begin to understand what is it that God has invested in us in, in terms of temperament and, and gifting and all those kinds of things that, that, that makes this life-giving for us to, to share of our resources. That's why we talk about what we give, right? That we've got the boxes in the back of the room and we try and make it you know, pretty subtle but make it clear that, that part of Of the journey that we're on is is releasing our hands from the things that we're holding on to. Saying what God has done, what God has given, what God is doing in me is is, is something that he wants me to hold on to loosely, wants me to steward, wants me to bring to the body to to begin to share so that, that we can make greater impact and have greater impact in the world around us. Jesus is Lord of your resources. And then Jesus is Lord of your purpose. And of the four, this might be for some of us, maybe the one that we struggle with the most. that we place these four things, these kind of primary domains of our life, our relationships, the directionality of our lives, the resources that we have, and the purpose of our lives. This might be the one that for some of us is the most difficult to let go of because we want to maybe get involved in this Jesus thing here and there. We want to to like live in, in a certain kind of way or we want to make progress. We want to do these things. But when it comes to the purpose of our lives, when it comes to what we're actually here for, what we were created for, and what our lives are supposed to look like, what, what life looks like well-lived for us, we want to be in charge of that. Like God, it's one thing for you to, to be involved with the resources of my life. It's one thing for you to be involved in the, in, in the relationships that are present. It's one thing for, for you to be shaping me as I go along the way. But, but man, what my life is about, the purpose of my life, we want to have control of that. And so this morning, we're reminded that, that Jesus is Lord of the purpose of our lives, that why we were created and what we're here for and what, what God wants to do in us and through us is not about what we decide, but about what God decides. And so we place this under the Lordship of Jesus, saying, God, what is it you want to do in my life? When, when I stand before you someday, what is it that, that life looks like well-lived by your definition, by your design? Jesus is Lord of our purpose. The beautiful thing is, when we look at this, it would be so tempting for us to, to spend time in this sort, of, uh, this sort of framework and this sort of passage and to say, this is great, but I don't know how I could ever get there. This feels like the, this picture that's been painted that's, that's almost impossible to get to. The beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is that we should be encouraged that if Jesus painted a picture and gave us a bullseye and said, this is the way that we're supposed to live, it's, it's we were created for this. That we can get there, not on our own strength, not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, not by forcing ourselves to behave a certain way. By getting before God, by getting in community with others that that can help us get there, that that life well lived, that that living towards God, that living rich towards God is possible. It just requires intentionality. It requires us submitting to the lordship of Jesus, saying, I'm not going to place myself at the center of my life. I'm going to say, what is it that God wants? What do I get to do with what God has placed in my hands? And how do I get in on what God is already doing in this world? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the bullseye. God, for the opportunity that we have as a people to imagine our lives very differently. To imagine what things might look like a week from now or a month from now or a year from now and say, what would it look like? living under the lordship of Jesus? What would I look like? What would my life look like? What would the life, lives of those around me look like? What would this community look like? If as a people, we placed our lives under the lordship of Jesus. God, I thank you that we have an opportunity to have our mentality recalibrated, to, to have our hearts revealed before you. But God, I pray you give us courage, that you give us wisdom, that, that you get us out of our heads and into community. God, thank you for this context that we've been given, this environment that we have as a people to gather together and to to be formed in the direction that you're calling us to be formed in. God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace along the way as as we miss the mark sometimes. But God, you are good and you are inviting us forward. Give us courage and wisdom. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.